that time that you started listening to episode 18 of Have a Blessed Gay? OMG, wait, that's happening right now. Welcome to episode 18 of Have a Blessed Gay, your weekly spiritual comedy podcast. I am your holy host, Tyler Martin. If you're new here, slap on a name tag and let us judge the shit out of you. If you're returning fam, hey bitch. Regardless of who you are, what you are, or how you are, I am happy you are you, and I am happy you are here. Thank you for sharing this time with me, listening, laughing with me, and or at me. And definitely, thanks for subscribing, following, leaving reviews, and reaching out to me. If you aren't subscribed yet, definitely do that, and make sure to leave a review. I will hardcore appreciate it and love you even more than I already do. XOXO, Gossip Girl. I am not one to get into fights on social media. Now in person, I will debate a bitch down, but I just don't usually insert myself in arguments online. But hey, we all have our days, right? And that day for me was when I saw a post from someone who I was shockingly friends with online, an ignorant jackass, who let's call, well, how about jackass? It's fitting. Okay, so Jackass wrote a status on the Book of Face, otherwise known as Facebook, that said something like this. I wish the gay community would choose another symbol for their flag instead of stealing the rainbow, a symbol and promise that was given to Christians by God in Genesis. (laughs) Okay, okay. Jackass came to play, didn't he? And he was talking about two of my favorite topics, religion and being gay. So you see why I couldn't leave it, right? And what fueled me even more than the status were the comments. People actually agreed with him. Many, many, many people agreed with him. Writing extreme hate speech targeted at the LGBTQ plus community. So you best believe I charge my razor, I manscaped, put on my speedo, and bitch, I jumped in the fucking pool. All right, let's get some shit straight. Well, <laughs> you know what I mean. Let's take that rainbow from the Christian Bible that Jackass was referring to. The Christian Bible consists of an Old and New Testament. That said, rainbow in Genesis appears in what is called by Christians the Old Testament. Now, why is it referred to as the Old Testament? Well, Christians stole the Jewish Bible, using it as part of their own, and being the shady bitches they were, named it the Old Testament. The Old Testament was and is the Jewish Bible, called the Tanakh. Did I get the sound? I don't want to brag, but I, uh, I was in Anne Frank once, so my Hebrew skills are pretty top-notch. Anyway, the Torah is the name for the first five books of the Jewish Bible, where the story in Genesis of Noah and the rainbow takes place. So, if we are getting technical, jackass, which... We are. That means that rainbow you mentioned was God's gift to the Jews, not Christians, and not you. You need to do your research, jackass. 
Second of all, no person or religion can claim a physical phenomenon as theirs. You can't claim light reflecting color as your thing. Bitch, you can't copyright nature. Like, how privileged are you? I can't begin a religion and suddenly claim rain as my thing that no one else can have. That makes no sense. And the rainbow has actually been used by other religions, faiths, and groups since the beginning of time, even before Christians or Jews ever wrote about it. Predating the Hebrew mythology, there were several myths and lore surrounding the rainbow, even accompanying a story of a great flood likely where the story of Noah came from. There's the goddess Inanna, or Ishtar, who was originally worshipped in Sumer and was later worshipped by the Akkadians, Babylonians, and Assyrians. She was super pissed about the flood and created the rainbow as a barrier, blocking the god who did it from feeding on offerings sacrificed at Earth's altars in his name. In Greek and Roman mythology, there's Iris, or Eris, the goddess of the rainbow, who would travel via the rainbow to give messages to mortals. So basically, Iris hops on her motorcycle in heaven, drives down here via Rainbow Railroad from Mario Kart, and is like, hey humans, got something to say. There's the Tibetan Buddhist who believe in the rainbow body, which is the highest level of attainable consciousness and enlightenment. And of course, let us not forget, the Irish leprechauns who hide pots of gold at the end of rainbows. And the list goes on and on. Basically, humans fucking love rainbows. And they always have. It's even been used in a shit ton of pop culture, like the song Somewhere Over the Rainbow, the musical Finian's Rainbow. It's spewed over a plethora of kids' toys and TV shows, like the Care Bears, My Little Pony. We even have stuffed unicorns that shit out rainbows. Pop some Skittles back, and babe, you're fucking tasting the rainbow. Like, they're everywhere. There are actually a ton of groups that have even used it in their flags as a sign of diversity and inclusiveness all over the world. Just a few include South America, pre-Columbian, a Buddhist flag, 1885, Cooperative Movement, 1921, Meher Baba in 1924, Peace Movement, 1961, LGBT Pride, 1978, Wu-Wo Tea Ceremony in 1991, Jewish Autonomous Oblast in 1996, and so many more. The original gay pride flag was hand-dyed by Gilbert Baker. It flew in the San Francisco Gay Freedom Day Parade on June 25th, 1978. Baker assigned specific meaning to each of the colors. Hot pink was for sex. Red for life, orange was for healing, yellow for sunlight, green for nature, turquoise for magic and art, indigo, serenity, and violet for the spirit. No one knows exactly why Baker chose a rainbow flag to represent gay pride. Some believe that he got the idea from a peace movement at the time, while others have said that he might have conceived the idea from the song Somewhere Over the Rainbow. You know how the gays love Judy Garland. But no matter how stereotypically gay he was or was not being as he developed the concept, it stuck. Now, it doesn't quite look the same as the original. The gay pride flag has gone through several different revisions since, trying to be as inclusive as it can be for everyone. Something really special about rainbows is that no two people can see the same rainbow. 
Did you know that? When you're looking at a rainbow, you're looking at light that's reflected by raindrops sitting above the horizon. But your horizon is always different from everyone else's, even if it is just off by a couple of centimeters. You're seeing something slightly different than everyone else. Even if someone is right next to you or on top of you giving you a lap dance, you can't be in the exact same place in space simultaneously. Therefore, no two people can ever see the same rainbow. And it gets even crazier than that because, get this, our own two eyes see slightly different rainbows. What the hell, right? I think this is actually pretty amazing though. Every person sees their own version of a rainbow, literally and figuratively. It means something different to each individual person, and literally, it is something different for each individual person. It is interesting that that jackass didn't target secular consumerism-driven rainbows or the other hundreds of religions or myths using it, the countless other flags that have used it, but rather specifically attacked the LGBTQ plus community's flag, which promotes love and acceptance. And he's not the only one. A couple of years later, there was actually a meme that became very popular in 2018 by an obviously ill-educated conservative Christian who suggested the exact same thing. But a rainbow is not just for Christians. Christians can't copyright color-reflecting light. They just can't. Instead, it's a phenomenon for every human to enjoy and embrace. If a rainbow speaks to you and you feel uplifted by the colors of this world, fucking use it. Buy that rainbow pen, paint your walls, and wave a flag. The rainbow has a rich history, and today's guest knows a thing or two surrounding history. His name is Dr. Eric Cervini. Eric is an award-winning historian of LGBTQ politics and culture. He graduated summa cum laude from Harvard College and received his PhD in history from the University of Cambridge, where he was a Gates scholar. More like gay scholar, am I right? As an authority on 1960s gay activism, Eric serves on the board of directors of the Harvard Gender and Sexuality Caucus. <laughs> caucus, and he serves on the board of advisors of the Mattachine Society of Washington, D.C., a nonprofit dedicated to the preservation of gay American history. His new book, The Deviant's War, The Homosexual Versus the United States of America, was released in June and became a New York Times bestseller. Based on firsthand accounts, recently declassified FBI records, and 40,000 personal documents, the Deviant's War unfolds over the course of the 1960s. It traces the forgotten ties that bound gay rights to the black freedom movement, the new left, lesbian activism, and trans resistance. Above all, it is a story of America at a cultural and sexual crossroads. I chat with Eric about the importance of learning and sharing history, and how we can use history as a tool in our spiritual tool belt. Hold on, did I just reference a tool belt? What the hell is happening? Am I blacking out? Oh my gosh. All right, before I do, here is my conversation with Dr. Eric Servine. Listen. 
This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp, the leading provider of online counseling. Y'all, the world is crazy and mental health is important. Some might even call it spiritual. I personally use BetterHelp myself and absolutely love what they're doing. BetterHelp makes professional counseling accessible, affordable, and convenient. So if you're struggling emotionally, battling anxiety, or you can't stop crying after an episode of Queer Eye, BetterHelp can be there for you anytime, anywhere. Go to my personal link at betterhelp.com slash blessgay to check it out and get what? 10% off. The best part is you don't even have to leave your house. They offer four ways to speak with a licensed counselor, video calls, phone calls, real-time chat, and direct messaging. All counselors have been qualified and certified by their state's professional board. In other words, you're not talking to a lobster dressed in human clothes. They're legit. All you gotta do is go to my link at betterhelp.com slash gay and begin the questionnaire to match you with a therapist who is uniquely qualified to serve your needs. How sexy. It's super duper easy and you're matched within 24 hours or less. BetterHelp has a monthly subscription rather than paying per session, which makes it cheaper. But if finances are still a concern, financial aid is available for those who qualify. Get counseling, improve your life, and help this podcast out in the process by going to betterhelp.com slash blessgay. Sign up today and get 10% off. That's betterhelp.com slash blessedgay. Dr. Eric Cervini, welcome to Have a Blessed Gay. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, let's just get into it. Tell us who you are and what the hell you do. (laughs) Uh, Well, my Instagram describes me as the homo historian, and I am both gay and a historian and a historian of gay history. So any way you look at it, that is who I am. And uh, I've been studying uh, queer history for the past almost eight years, um, got my PhD, uh, and focusing mostly on pre-Stonewall uh, gay activism in America. Uh, at the time, it was called the homophile movement. So a lot of people think that our history began with Stonewall, and in reality, it actually goes back uh, generations before then. So it's it's so thrilling to talk about uh, uh, our, our very rich, long, and diverse past. What inspired you to dive into LGBTQ plus history like this? Well, in undergrad, I thought that I was going to be a lawyer. I thought, you know, I'd go to, go to law school, maybe work in the government and policy or something like that, and happened to be taking some amazing history classes at the time and starting to think, wait a second, I really love telling stories from our past and learning about stories from our past. And around the same time uh, that I was having to pick a a thesis topic for my undergraduate thesis, I watched the film Milk uh, about Harvey Milk, which is amazing. And there I was, you know, this 20 year old uh, who thought I knew the past, thought I knew the basics of, you know, Stonewall and of American history and was shocked that I hadn't been taught the story of Harvey Milk before, uh, despite how uh, gripping and important and tragic this story was. And it got me to thinking, well, what other stories are out there that I haven't been taught, that I wasn't taught in in Central Texas public schools? Uh, And one of the first names that popped up as I was researching was Dr. Franklin E. Kameny. And he was regarded by historians as, as the, the grandfather of the gay rights movement, yet no one had written a book about him. And he had just passed away 
uh, two years earlier. And so I trekked down to the Library of Congress where hundreds of thousands of his papers are stored and realized I was looking at the hidden secret history of, of gay rights in America. And that was seven years ago. And I've been uh, uh, preoccupied and obsessed with <laughs> sharing his story. And I'm so thrilled to have finally been able to share it in my book, uh, The Deviant War. Well, that's amazing. I know your book has been just such a major success, and I'm sure that has got to feel pretty incredible. And I want to talk more about history, but I also want to learn a little bit more just about you and yourself. Did you grow up in a religious or spiritual household coming from Texas? I'm I'm assuming you might have, but who knows? Yeah, and I'm actually really lucky, um, and I write about it in, in my acknowledgments. Uh, my mother uh, was was raised Protestant. She first was raised at UCC and then um, joined the Presbyterian Church in, in Austin. And I was lucky in that, unlike a lot of folks in, in Texas, my, my church was extremely progressive um, and really the source of so much of my knowledge about social justice, uh, the environment that I grew up in. And I was very lucky that for me, spirituality and, and faith and, and Christianity specifically uh, really was synonymous with progressive social justice and, and protesting against uh, injustice and you know, that's bef long before I even realized I was gay or even had a word for <laughs> it or even had before puberty. Even, you know, I was already, you know, attending AIDS vigils and memorials and attending, you know, gay and lesbian weddings. The very first wedding I ever went to was a was a lesbian wedding. And this was a decade before uh, marriage was was legalized. Um, so that's why I was really excited to, to chat with you, because I think a lot of people write off uh, faith and they write off the institution of, of religion um, as inherently exclusive, when in reality there are so many communities, even if you have to kind of search out for them, um, that that really do the opposite and that are, are so inclusive and also fighting for, for social change. Well, and I'm curious too, since you grew up in a uplifting religious environment and you didn't experience religious trauma like so many of the LGBTQ mm -hmm. people do uh, experience. How are you now with religion and spirituality? Do you consider yourself religious and or spiritual today? Yeah, and I think I, because it was such a source of strength and power and community, you know, I still consider myself Christian. Uh, I, you know, are the Bible that I was taught was a gender inclusive Bible. It wasn't kingdom. It was kingdom. You know, it wasn't he referring to God. It was just God. Um, and so that's how I learned, like being gender inclusive. You know, that's how I learned about pronouns was through studying the Bible, which is I think for most people would sound crazy and radical and like, you know, mind blowing, but like Christianity has always been synonymous with, with inclusion and social justice. And I think that's exactly what it should be. Um, Cause you know, when you look at the teachings of, of Jesus, like what he's saying is really progressive, really, really radical stuff. Even uh, for today. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. Like so incredibly radical and revolutionary that like, that the, the the words that he actually said, um, you know, I, I think 
we should should appreciate them at least if 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 you are Christian and that's important to you and you want to maintain some sort of connection to to something larger then you know I don't think just because some elements of of Christianity are are exclusive that means that we should write off the entire institution of course you know the the, the church has done so much harm throughout the millennia um, but that doesn't mean that that it's impossible. Uh, to reform it or to find pockets within it that are actually uplifting. With all of your amazing and extensive research, specifically diving into LGBTQ plus history, are there any people within the community that were religious or spiritual badasses in history that you've come across? Yeah, I mean, so many. And that was probably one of the things that surprised me most about my research is, of course, there were so many instances of whether it was federal officials justifying the persecution of of queer federal employees based off of scripture, right? Of course, you know, they refer to Leviticus, etc. But what I think surprised me more than that, because I expected that, but what surprised me was the allies within the church. Um, so many of those very early straight allies in the 60s before Stonewall came from within the church, um, particularly uh, the Episcopal uh, Church in, in Washington, D.C., uh, was extremely uh, supportive of early activists. Um, the same uh, churches and preacher, preachers who were traveling to Selma uh, to, to march with Dr. King and John Lewis. Uh, we're also hosting sermons on the problem of homosexual discrimination, right? At the exact same time in 64 and 65, you know, and, and you, you, you see it also when just studying the civil rights movement in general, that some of those who are most um, supportive of, of radical social change um, and of social justice come from within the church because they're the ones who are actually carrying out the teachings of Jesus. And I think that's really empowering because it shows what could be, right? If we literally, you know, accept the teachings of what this guy named Jesus was actually saying, you know, then you have to love your neighbor. You have to um, be protecting those who are being persecuted. Um, and so I, I think it was so uplifting and, and, and reassuring that there's this possibility of, of churches being a site for, for, for change and for good. Yeah, that's super hopeful. Unfortunately, when we do think of the word Christian, we don't always think of loving and accepting specifically when it comes to the gays. But mm -hmm. I want to know from you using history as a tool to advance our future. Why do you think there has been such a major divide between the LGBTQ plus community and main world religion, specifically in America. And how do you think we can use that historical narrative to create change for the future? Mm. Well, it's a good question because, I mean, you go back to, you know, 1000 AD, right, when the, the, the Catholic Church first recognized that you know, if it wanted more power, if it wanted more specifically geopolitical power, um, regardless of, of its teachings, but in terms of, you know, having 
better finances, having more people um, under its reign in Europe, um, it needed a scapegoat. It needed a target, something that would help it consolidate its power. And I think it's that interference of politics and money into not just the church, but any institution <laughs> that tends to corrupt it. Right. And one of the, the truest facts of history is that if you want to consolidate your own power, you need to find uh, an enemy from within. Uh, you see it during the, 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 the Crusades or the Inquisition. You see it uh, in <laughs> the 50s with McCarthyism and the Lavender Seger, uh going after uh, gays. You see it uh, with the conquistadors coming to America, committing genocide against those who were gender nonconforming. Um, and so I think being able to distinguish between those two things, between spirituality per se by itself and an institution that is also synonymous with power and money and politics, if you can separate those, then you realize that you don't they don't have to be connected. You can be a spiritual person or you can be part of a spiritual community without all the baggage. Totally. That's something that, that is practically every episode is just a talking about difference between religion and spirituality. And yeah, I mean, I, I think even and I'm I want to know from you and your work, but I think learning about history, regardless what it's about, I think that deepens our connection to humanity and what came before us and who we are and who we embody because of that history. And mm. to me, that is something spiritual because that means we are connecting to this universe in a way that is um, intentional and purposeful and a way to heighten um, our sense of self. I think that just learning history itself is spiritual. Do you mm. find your work spiritual um, as, as far as going back and, and learning about these incredible people throughout time? Regardless of how you define it, you know, there's something about humans that need something larger, um, something bigger than them. And even if it's not a god or some sort of higher force. Um, you know, history is very often studying humans who are part of something larger. So even if you don't believe in a god or you aren't spiritual, um, but you believe in social justice or you believe in change or you believe in your community or something larger, then yeah, I think you could argue that that is um, spirituality, you know, even if you aren't believing in, in a God, if you're believing in your community, if you're believing in, in yourself or you're part of, of you're fighting for your queerness or your queer brothers and sisters and those in between, I think studying history is an inherently human process. And I think humanity is so intertwined often with spirituality that, yeah, sometimes you do see it. And I think you see it, especially when, you know, people keep fighting despite the the context and despite the overwhelming persecution that they feel um so much of 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 faith is is that and that's why i think you see especially in the black freedom movement you see how intertwined also these communities these faith-based communities these churches how essential they were to the movement and uh i think that's something that i would hope is we could emulate Today, you know, I, I think 
churches or any community should be uh, a place for uh, organizing and for for social change. And and they should be places where, you know, we feel comfortable because I was lucky enough to have a place that that made me feel comfortable. Um, And I, I would hope that anyone who wants to be part of something spiritual or some sort of community like that has that same ability. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, you, it's always interesting to read about others and feel part of something larger, uh, regardless of whether it's spiritual or not. You have a Instagram video series that is packed with historical facts called the magic closet. And anyone who is on Instagram, please go check them out. They are very informative and fun. But um, one that I specifically enjoyed, you broke down the story of Sodom and Gomorrah from the Hebrew Bible and how the story is actually not about homosexuality, which a lot of people are misinformed on. So teach us, doctor, if it wasn't about gay loving, what was it about? Well, I mean, the early, early text is very clear that it had nothing to do with with the sexuality of the inhabitants of, of Sodom, but rather their inhospitality, their inhospitality. And, you know, they were <laughs> um, committing acts of, of violence and sexual violence against their guests. And that is what for th- a thousand years, literally an entire millennium, is how you know biblical scholars and theologians interpreted it. And it wasn't until uh, this guy named Philo came along and said, actually, you know, this is <laughs> these, these homosexuals who are running around, these sodomites um, that are, are the real issue. And it was this kind of revisionist interpretation um, that that somehow caught on. And when you realize that the, the, the Bible, it was not a static entity. It's not something that has always been a certain way. And in fact, it's, it's evolved over the millennia. And that if you really want the most pure, authentic version, it has nothing to do with, with you know, um, sodomites <laughs> being sod- committing sodomy. Um, it's something much, much uh, different. And I think that's really essential because a lot of people have been taught how important the Bible is and believe in the Bible. And I think if you really want to uh, uh, keep it as part of your, your life, it doesn't mean that you have to believe that it implies or explicitly states that to be gay is, is inherently bad because it just doesn't. And there's plenty of research um, that, that proves it. I think it is so important just to know the history. And if if you are a part of a religion, uh, then I think that should be a desire, but also almost a requirement just to know what you are worshiping and and what you are a part of. Um, and I think that does mean to go back and look at history uh, just to see what the translations have done throughout time. Uh, something that we've talked about on here is that the in the Christian um, and Hebrew Bible, like the word homosexual wasn't added until 1946. We have so much history proving over and over again that it's just the bigotry of society uh, throughout time as the translations have, have come out that have produced this common enemy that is so convenient for some religions. So I, yeah, I think it's so important to look at that history. Exactly. Who were some fascinating historical figures who were gay, but publicly stayed in the closet? 
Uh, <laughs> I mean, there are so many. Um, I think one of my favorites that I write about in my book um, is, is a man named Walter Jenkins, who, uh, you know, this year is an election year and he was uh, LBJ's, uh, President Johnson's uh, top aide in the White House. Um, and in 1964, two weeks before uh, the election, even though he was Catholic, he had uh, several kids, he was married, um, he was found with another man in the basement restroom of a YMCA just across the street from the White House. And the, the media <laughs> found out. Um, he claimed that he was having a, um, a basically a mental breakdown. And that is why he was with this other man. He like blacked out. Um, and so he was hospitalized. And, you know, the, the press found out. They freaked out. And yet LBJ still won by a landslide, one of the largest landslides in American history. Um, and so it showed that despite, you know, this quote unquote scandal, um, despite, you know, uh, the fact that a homosexual was at the you know, top of the White House and that LBJ may or may not have, you know, looked the other way, um, it didn't matter, you know, and that there wasn't any sort of breach of national security as, as a result of, of a gay man, whether or not he was closeted. Um, in, in the White House. And it, I think it sent a signal to the pre-Stonewall gay rights movement that uh, there was really a possibility for uh, changing hearts and minds within America, because if they kind of shrugged their shoulders at this big scandal uh, in the middle of an election, in the middle of the Cold War, then perhaps there's a way to persuade the public that, you know, uh, maybe sodomy should be uh, uh, decriminalized. Maybe uh, gay marriages down the road, a few decades down the road, should be legalized. Um, and so I think even even though Walter Jenkins would not describe himself as a, as a gay hero because he was in the closet um, for so long, for his entire life, um, that doesn't mean that he didn't have an impact on history. That is so fascinating. And something that I just kind of thought about, and I, I want to know if you know, what does being in the closet, what, where does that phrase come from? Do you know? Uh, the closet itself, I'm not as sure about, but it is very interesting. I mean, even the word gay uh, was not commonly used until until the 70s. Um, the word homosexual wasn't even invented until uh, the late 1800s. So language certainly uh, has changed. But the closet itself, I'll, I'll have to look into that and see where, where uh, that specific um, <laughs> location in the household became uh, the place to hide. I know. I'm so curious about that because it's just such a common phrase that we use. But yeah, I have no idea where that comes from. Well, OK, I have a fun question for you. If you could go back in time to meet someone in history, who would that be? Um, I would love to talk to Bayard Rustin, um, who was he was actually raised Quaker. Uh, and was a gay black man who was the chief architect of the 1963 March on Washington, uh, at which Dr. King declared, I have a dream. Um, and he was really responsible for bringing Gandhi's strategy of nonviolence to the black freedom movement uh, before Rustin, Dr. King had armed guards outside his house. Um, he had guns in his house. And Rustin said, no, you have to completely embrace nonviolence as a philosophical and political strategy. Um, and that same 
strategy is what then was adopted by people like Frank Kameny, the Mattachine Society of Washington, and the pre-Stonewall gay rights movement. Um, that is why after the 1963 March on Washington, uh, gays began marching in 1964, uh, just months after the march. So I'd love to hear you know, someone who was so influential in social movements, in several social movements, and who existed at the intersection of multiple oppressed identities, um, I, I, I would just yeah, uh, be over the moon to be able to, <laughs> to hear his story from, from his own mouth. Why do you think understanding and knowing our history is important? And even more than that, obviously you've devoted years to research for your book and, and putting this out for the world. So not only for yourself, but why do you think it's important important enough that you devoted so much time and are devoting so much time to it still um, to learn the history and then to tell others about the history? Mm -hmm. Well, we're living in really scary times. And I think studying history, one of the first things you learn is that the past has often been scary as well. And yet we survived, we thrived, we had community and campy humor and love and uh, we resisted. And I think studying how people were able to resist and still thrive and, and love others and be true to themselves despite overwhelming adversity is so important today. What are you working on now? Are you working um, toward another adventure after this first book of yours? I think so. And uh, I'm currently in Los Angeles and have always dreamed of uh, you know, I first became a, a queer historian because of uh, a Hollywood film, and I'm, I'm uh, working on uh, perhaps adapting this book uh, and then also working on the next one. So stay tuned. That is amazing. Well, congratulations on this book. It has been such a wild success. Everyone, please go check it out. Eric, where can people find you, your book, and just keep up with all the amazing stuff that you're doing? Sure. Uh, probably easiest is just on Instagram. It's just my name, Eric Cervini, C-E-R-V-I-N-I. Uh, and I'll have my link to my website where you can find places to, to buy the book, ideally from independent bookshops. And yeah, thank you so much for having me. Okay, so the coming out of the closet thing. I did some research and found some goodies, mostly from an article on refinery29.com by Cassandra Brabaugh and, of course, Wikipedia. Basically, gay men adopted the phrase coming out from debutante culture when young ladies would come out into society and that meant they were eligible to date and marry young men. In 1869, 100 years before Stonewall riots, actually, the German homosexual rights advocate Karl Heinrich Ulrich introduced the idea of self-disclosure as a means of emancipation, claiming that invisibility was a major obstacle toward changing public opinion. He urged homosexual people to reveal their same-sex attractions, to come out. Now, the term coming out of the closet didn't really appear until the 1960s, and that is thought to stem from the phrase skeletons in the closet. So people who felt like they couldn't come out and had to hide who they were. 
being gay was thought of as information that would potentially hurt their status or reputation, something that many within the LGBTQ plus community still face today. So there you go. Now we know where the phrase coming out of the closet came from. We learned something new. And now here are my main takeaways. Number one, no two people can see the same rainbow and no one can claim rainbows as only their thing. They are for anyone and everyone. Number two, history repeats and informs our future. So it is immensely beneficial to research, learn, and know our history. Number three, it is possible to find uplifting communities in unlikely places. However, if you cannot find one, this is a wonderful time to look online. With COVID-19, a ton of communities have turned to now being online. But no matter where you look, know that there are uplifting and empowering communities out there. Find one that will embrace the badass that you are. Number four, history allows us to connect with our ancestors and people that came before us. In other words, learning history connects us to the human experience, which is something many people find spiritual. I have posted links in the show notes for Eric and their book, Check them out and show this podcast some loving by following, subscribing, and leaving a review. And don't be shy. Reach out to me. I love hearing from listeners. Let me know what you thought of these specific topics or if there's anything you would like to hear discussed. You can reach me at the email in the show notes or DM me on social media at haveablessedgay on all the platforms. Now, because this content can be heavy at times, you might not be able to laugh it off. And if you are struggling and having a hard time, I will always post helplines in the show notes. So reach out if you need to. Just remember this, you are special, you are purposeful, and you are fucking beautiful. Have a blessed day, y'all.